Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you are our living hope. You are my living hope, Lord. There is no other name but Jesus that we have living hope and we praise you, Lord. We praise you for all that Jesus has done so that we have a relationship with you, that we can live in the fullness of the life that you give us. So, Lord, we praise you. We thank you. And, Lord, there is no other name that is greater than yours, uh, nothing that can go beyond you, nothing that is greater than you. But, Lord, we confess that we put things higher than you. We put things before you and it is not good. So, Lord, we just take a moment now to confess those things, to confess those things that we put higher than you and we lay them at your feet, Lord. They have no place above you. Father, help us to restore you to above all other things in our lives. Help us to put you at the top of the list, at the top of our day, at the top of our mind, because there is no other name, Lord, above Jesus. And Lord, we just think now of those people that do not know you, that, that we have perhaps been praying for for years and years, or perhaps someone that we've met just recently who does not know you, that does not know that your name is above all names. Father, we just bring them to you now. Lord, show us how we can uh, guide their eyes to you guide their hearts to you so that they will be saved, that they will be able to live the life that you have for them. And Father, we just pray for our morning this morning. We think of uh, the teachers here in this space who are teaching that you are the name above all names in however they're teaching it, the kids' programs in each of the different age groups, Lord. I just ask your blessing on the teachers as they teach about you, that they teach the kids that you are the name above all names. May your spirit guide words and guide the hearts of those teachers. May they, may your spirit dwell in those classrooms to show the kids that, that, that are there that you are the name above all names. And Father, I just pray for Sam as he um, brings a word this morning. May your spirit um, embolden him to say the words that uh, you have for our, our church this morning. Um, may we, in this time this morning, just glorify you. You are the name above all names. You are the God that is to be praised. Um, there is no other God. <laughs> there is no other Jesus. So, Lord, we just... Uh, Bring this morning to you. May you be glorified. May you be praised in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Mon, for doing the intro to the sermon this morning. <laughs> Once again, it's amazing. We're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that echoes exactly what uh, Monica prayed with us this morning. Um, I've just noticed that there's, there's lots of people at the back. There's some empty chairs here. Do you want to like come come forward and sort of gather together a bit rather than being all spread out? Is that okay? Come, come forward, grab some forward seats. That'd, that'd be awesome. 
we're, we're over social distancing now, aren't we? We can hug each other and be a bit closer. That's good. <laughs> this, this pulpit was obviously used by Bill last week because it's like up under my chin. It's <laughs> all right, we'll go with that. Morning, everyone. It's a a joy and a privilege, as always, to be able to share God's Word with you. And uh, welcome to you online if you're watching uh, this right now. I trust that uh, uh, the Word of God will just enter your hearts as well and and transform your world uh, as as you are at home uh, watching this. And um, this morning, I just want to continue in our series on the book of Acts. Uh, As I've been declaring uh, throughout this whole series uh, in your Bibles, uh, scholars or whoever's put together your Bibles have probably written the wrong title for the book. It's not the Acts of the Apostles because Luke isn't actually interested in uh, the power of the Apostles. There's no power in the name of, of Peter or Paul or John. There's no power in my name. There's power in the name of Jesus. And, it, and as Luke talks about the Gospels being about what Jesus did and ministered, Acts is about what Jesus continues to do and act and minister through the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, uh, on, on last Sunday evening in our evening service, uh, someone joked that we're going to be take about a year and a half to finish this the, the way that we're going. I'm not going to be spending every single chapter in this, so you can be relieved in that. But I just want to, like, I think that the start of Acts is really, really important. The start of Acts is the coming of the Spirit and seeing what effect that has on the early disciples, on the early followers of Jesus. And what does that say to us now here in 2022 as we read it? What is Jesus saying to us as we read these accounts? How are we encouraged? How are we challenged, perhaps, uh, in what happens? Because these were ordinary men. Ordinary women living ordinary, everyday lives. And you might think that your life is ordinary and not special. These were ordinary, everyday people, but they followed an extraordinary God. And an extraordinary God did amazing things through them. And so be encouraged in that. And so I've wanted to be asking some questions as we go through this book. And particularly this morning, I think it's quite relevant uh, because there's a bit of a a warning I want to put on the start of this message, and that is that there are some statements that some people might find offensive uh, as we read through some of the things that are said in, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4. There are things that might be offensive. There might be things that might be challenging. There are things that might uh, undermine your own thinking, your own concept, your own theology perhaps. Because we want to be shaped by the book. We want to be shaped by the Word of God. So we, we ask ourselves these questions. As we place ourselves in the narratives, as we see ourselves there, as we read it, what are you surprised by? What jumps out at you? What challenges, what challenges your own thinking? This morning, some people were challenged in their thinking. And then as we learn about the distinctives and priorities of the early church, what can we discover as a body here at the Hills Christian Family Centre? What can we learn from the early church? And probably most importantly, and I want to drill this home at the end of this message, what is Jesus saying to you personally? How is Jesus allowing you to grow and be 
uh, more and more like him as you follow him. So today we're looking at Acts chapter 4. But before we get to that, um, just a a bit of context. Sunday night we looked at Acts chapter 3 if you weren't here. Acts chapter 3 is the the story exactly after... um, Acts 2, the early church is born, Pentecost, they're meeting together in church homes, they've got everything in common, everything's wonderful. And then Luke moves on to the first sort of story of what happens when Peter and John go to the temple to pray. They meet this lame man that's brought to the temple every day by his friends and he's sitting there begging every day. And pretty interesting thought actually that if that's the case, Jesus would have actually walked past this man. Have you ever thought of that? Jesus would have walked past this man. He never healed him, but he perhaps thought, hey, your time is coming. You wait for for the time that is right for you and for the right for the glory to be revealed because I've got a bigger plan at, at, at hand. So, uh, so he's, he's there, he's at the gate, beautiful. Peter and John see him and they intently look at him, it says. They don't look past him, they don't... Dis- discard him as we perhaps do when we think about someone in that situation. We sort of shield our eyes, but they look at him and they, they get his attention and they say, I don't have what you're after, but in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And this man rises up and walks and he's walking and leaping and praising God. And this is a really a picture of, I said this Sunday night, a picture of the gospel. You and I are that lame person and in our own efforts from birth, it said, from the very beginning, we have no power in ourselves, but we're reliant on other people to get us to this point. And, 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 and God in Jesus doesn't overlook us. He doesn't look past us, but he looks us in the eye and he, and he takes us by the hand and he picks us up out of our situation, out of our sin, and he brings us into relationship with him. And, and that man was outcast from the temple courts, but now he's included, he's brought in. What a picture of the gospel that you and I, when we come to Jesus, when he lifts us up, we're no longer excluded. We're no longer out of the family, but we're brought into the family of God. We're sons and daughters of the king, and we're included in his family and in his grace. And we can too walk and leap and praise God for all that he's done. So that's happened That's just happened in Acts chapter 3, and now there's a response to it. Now there's going to be some interesting dialogue as to what just happened. And this commotion took place, and it was in the afternoon, and it went all evening. So obviously there's all this talking, and what's going on? This guy was lame, and now he's walking, and how did this happen? And it's drawing a crowd, and people are interested and wondering what's going on. And then we get to Acts chapter 4. So we're just going to read through it, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to open up the word this morning. So let's, let's read together. I might need you to do it for me because I've got my hands tied up here. So the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. 
But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account to the day for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name, just declared Monica. There is no other name under heaven given by men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realised that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, he's like right there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they've done an outstanding miracle and we can't deny it. But to stop this from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men not to speak any longer in this, in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help but speaking out what we have seen and heard. So after further threats, they let them go. And they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Wonderful interaction here. And we want to talk about that this morning. So if we go back to uh, verse 1, the the priests, the captain of the, the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John. So there's this commotion uh, it's, it's, it's getting the attention of everyone in Jerusalem, that it's drawing a crowd, and it's getting the attention of the rulers and the authorities. And it says that the Sadducees came up to, to, to grab hold of them. What's interesting to know, and you, you might know this from your own Bible studies, is there, there were a number of different sort of authorities in the, the Jewish leadership. There was the Pharisees, uh, there was the, the scribes, there was the Sadducees. And there were some, some slight differences uh, between these groups of people. The Pharisees were actually quite uh, religious. They were uh, quite faithful. They believed in angels. They believed in the resurrection. They believed in life after death. Uh, they believed in the scriptures. And so they had an issue with Jesus mainly So when you look at the Gospels, it's the Pharisees that come and question because they've got an issue with Jesus claiming to be God because they're interested in theology. They're interested in the the spiritual life of people. Sadducees were a different uh, group of people. They were 
aristocratic uh, group. They were they kept it in the family. They were elitist. They were more of a po- political group. They were in bed with the Romans. Uh, the Romans were the ones that uh, appointed the high priests from the Sadducees, so they wanted to be on good terms with them so that they could make sure they had the power, they had the authority, they, had, uh, they could rule over, over the people. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe in, in angels. They didn't believe in hope. That's why they're called the Sadducees. <laughs> Oh, nice one, says Lauren. Yes. What a sad life. What a, what a sad way of, of, of living, not to believing in, in hope and life after death and, and, and the resurrection. And so Jesus has an issue, uh, the Pharisees have an issue with Jesus. Now in, the, in Acts, we see the Sadducees raising up and being the enemy of the apostles because, it, because they're declaring that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And they're saying, oh, we, we can't handle that. We don't like that. And uh, how, do you, how do you squash a movement? You kill its founder. And they thought, well, we've, we've got rid of this movement, this new sort of thing that's happening. We, we've got rid of its founder. And now all of a sudden these disciples are, are jumping up and they're, they're saying the same sorts of things that Jesus, Jesus said. It's a bit like that. Have you seen those, um, those kids' toys with a little worm or something that comes up out of the hole and you're trying to hit it with a hammer and then another one jumps up out of here. (laughs) It's exactly what's happening for the Sadducees. They can't handle it because Jesus, who declared that he was going to rise from the dead, that he was going to be Messiah, well, let's just get rid of that. And now all of a sudden these disciples, they're, they're saying the same things and they're empowered by the Spirit and they're doing miracles Hang on a minute, we don't believe in miracles. How do, how do we deal with that? So they, they get rid of the disciples and more and more disciples pop up and they can't handle the fact that this gospel is spreading because Jesus said it was going to spread. His words have, have rung true. And so there's these Sadducees and it says, I love it, it says um, in verse 2, they were greatly disturbed. It's a great word, isn't it? Disturbed. Do you know that the gospel always disturbs? It disturbs in two ways. It disturbs either by challenging your thinking, and this is what's happened for the Sadducees, or it disturbs by disrupting your life for good. It disturbed many people here. It said many people came to faith. They were disrupted. Their, their life was disturbed. It was going one way. Now it's it's changed around. And for the Sadducees, they were greatly disturbed, uh, disturbed, disrupted, disturbed. But why were they upset? They were preaching about the resurrection. They were saying that Jesus was alive. They were saying that we can have a resurrected body if we have faith in him. You see, the Sadducees were blinded by their own prejudices. I think this is a wonderful picture of our society that people have their own ways, their own things set up about how they think life is and what's true and, and, and you can put the truth right in front of people. A miracle happened. This lame man from birth was healed and he's walking and leaping 
and they can't see the miracle because they're blinded by their own prejudices. It's interesting. Sometimes some people say, you know, all I need, if I ever saw a miracle, then I'd believe. I wonder if that's true. Because here these people saw a miracle and they didn't believe. It's not the miracle that that does it. And so in verse 4, it, it goes on, they, oh, verse 3, they seized Peter and John because it was evening, they put them in jail. So there's, there's this commotion that's happening, and it has happened, happened all evening, but it's getting too late to do anything about it, so they throw them in jail. But I love what Luke says here in verse 4, but many who heard the message believed, and the number of men uh, grew to about 5,000. We know that on the day of Pentecost it was around 3,000, so another event happens, another 2,000 are added. And I'm not being chauvinistic, but the way they counted back in those days was they counted the men. So there was more because there was men, there were women and children as well. But I love what, what Luke says here in, in verse 4 because he says that they were thrown in jail, but many heard and believed. And there's a great truth here that, that Luke tries to portray, and that is that you can arrest the followers of Jesus, but you can never arrest the gospel. You can throw people in prison. You can try and even erase the disciples by stoning them. But you can never erase the gospel. Remember, this is one of Luke's themes in Acts. He's interested in the spread of the good news of Jesus. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' words are going to happen. And you can't stop it. And so that makes us think about what other words has Jesus said uh, in his word to us that we should take heed of and believe in. You can arrest the followers of Jesus, but you can never arrest the Gospels. Verse 5. The next day the rulers, the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem now, Luke here describes the Sanhedrin. There's 70 uh, people plus the high priest. And this group of people is exactly the same group of people that Jesus stood before. So you can imagine what might be going through Peter and John's minds. Well, what happened last time someone stood before this group and were questioned? I wonder if that's going to happen to us. But there's a change in who they are and in their approach. And Luke actually talks about this change in a picture. If you look back at Luke's account of when Jesus was on trial before the Sanhedrin, Jesus is in, in before them and Peter is outside and it says that he's warming himself by someone else's fire. And, and it's there that he, the servant girl says to him, aren't you one of the, the followers of Jesus? And he denies Christ. So before the coming of the Spirit, Peter is outside and he's needing to warm himself with someone else's fire. But now we have a picture of a different Peter, for he has the fire inside of him. He has the Holy Spirit in him. And now he stands before this same Sanhedrin, and as they're going to discover, he's just like Jesus. 
He's empowered by the Holy Spirit, no longer timid, no longer afraid, no longer denying Christ, but he's doing exactly what Jesus did and he's turning it back around on them and he's pointing at them and he's telling them off. What a change the Holy Spirit does for Peter and what a change the Holy Spirit can do in our life. And so this Sanhedrin, this is the elite, this is the kind, and it says that they keep, keep it in the family. Do you see other, other members of the, the family that are there? They're aristocratic, they've got the power, they've got the authority. We don't want anyone coming and sort of taking that authority that we have. We like to lord it over everyone. And now there's this, this murmur, this talk that there's another name that is more powerful. There is another name that can do miracles. There is another name that's going to knock us off the perch. What are we going to do about that? <laughs> we, we've, got to, we've got to squash it. So they asked, by what authority and what name? And Jesus has a promise for the apostles. And it's written in Luke 21. He foresaw what was going to happen. And he says these words to them, They will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison. They did that, didn't they? And you'll be brought before kings and governors and all on the account of my name, the name that is above every other name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you the words through the power of the Spirit and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. So Jesus promises this, and now we actually see it transpire in the life of Peter and John. And they stand before the same council that Jesus did, and they do exactly what Jesus does. You know what Jesus did when he was questioned? He turned it back on them and questioned them back, <laughs> saying, have you got a problem with me healing a person? <laughs> what, why is there an issue with doing good for, for a person? Why is that your problem? Why is that an issue here? And so Peter says, <clears throat> filled with the Holy Spirit, there it is. Are we being called to account for an act of kindness? Is that, is that why we're on trial, Really? Are we really on trial for doing a good deed? There's really something more going on underneath here. But if you want to know how he is healed, it is in the name of Peter. No, sorry, I read that wrong. It is in the name of John. No, it's in the name of Jesus. Peter here, in the same way that when he addressed the original people in Acts 3, in a way, he takes people off the miracle and points people's eyes to Jesus. If you want to know how this good deed is done, it is in the name of Jesus Christ. It's not about me. It's not about my goodness. In fact, let's just go back to Acts 3. Flip over in your Bibles to verse 12. When Peter saw this, he said to the men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Do you stare at us as if by our own power or our own godliness we were able to make this man walk? 
It's not, it's not in our power. It's not in our efforts. It's not in our godliness. It's in the name of Jesus Christ. There is no other name. It's in his name alone. It's, it's the authority of Jesus. Jesus commanded the disciples to go and, and that they would do even greater things that, that he did. And here you see it outworked. You know, you can't do anything in your own strength. We know that, don't we? But we try and we forget that it is only in Jesus' name that anything is possible. Some people might say, wow, you've got an amazing pastor or you've got an amazing church or I follow this leader or I've got a wonderful whatever it is. None of that matters. It's all the power of the name of Jesus that matters. And then, he's, then Peter says this. He again uses Psalm 118 to talk about a messianic psalm, to talk about what's actually happening here. And he says that Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone or the cornerstone depending on your translation. And, and he's, 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 he's saying to the Sadducees, you guys have rejected Jesus. You guys have put him to death. So you guys are the ones that have, have rejected him as a living stone. And what, what happened back then was when you were building, you didn't have mortar and concrete, so you had to do dry stone walling. And it was the, the weight of the of each stone upon each stone that had to be placed in the right position that, that gave it its strength. Um, I, I was privileged enough to do some work with John Moore, who's part of our church here, and, and he, he's a stonemason, and he's a bit of an expert now, an authority on dry stone walling. Um, and he gave me a, a lesson in it, and I did a couple of weeks' work with him. And he was explaining that, the power is in placing the stones in the right place and that by putting a stone on top of another one, it's going to hold the one underneath it in place and give it its strength. And, and he was amazing at it. And, and so we'd, we'd go do this job and, and, and he'd, he'd just go and put up this. He'd just be able to look at a rock and know exactly where it needed to go. Just like that one goes there, that one goes there, that one goes there. And I'm sitting there going... Maybe I'll knock a bit off the end of that one and put it there. And I'd spend you know half an hour putting I don't know ten ten rocks in place. And he'd done this like this whole thing over here. And he'd and he'd come over and he'd assess my work and he'd go yeah 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 and he'd throw throw them off and he'd put that one there, put that one there. That's how it should be. But what the builders do is when they come across a stone that isn't the right shape. They throw it away. They put it on the rubbish pile. They reject it. And that's precisely what Peter is saying to the Sadducees. He's saying, you're supposed to be the builders of Israel. You're the leaders of Israel. As, as you build this nation, as you put all of its things in place, you come across this Jesus who is the Messiah, who you rejected, who you put to death, you didn't understand it. It was a wrong shape. It, you you kind of can't comprehend what to do with this Jesus. And so you've, you've thrown it out. You've rejected it. And it's a picture of what we do in our lives. 
isn't it? We love to build our lives to be neat and tidy. We love to have all the things in place. We like to order our finances, our, our career, our relationships, our hobbies, and we like to give it priority and massage it, put all the shapes in place. But sometimes Jesus is this stone that's got angles and right angles and it. where does it fit? As, as you think about that concept of building and, and having stones, as you build your life or maybe you need to rearrange it or maybe you've had something go on in your life where you actually need to rebuild, what will you do with the living stone of Jesus? That's what Peter is saying to this group of elite people. His the cornerstone, he's the one that all the other pieces build off of, or he's the capstone, the one that holds all the other things in place. He is the priority in our life. Sometimes maybe we're on a journey of faith and, and we're, we're building our life and we're, we're happy with what we've got. What do we do with this out-of-shape stone? What do we do with this thing that's irregular? that doesn't seem to fit. We've got to put Jesus first. We've got to put him as the foundation or the capstone. That's why it works in both ways when it comes to building building dry stone walls. You need a strong foundation and you need the the rocks on top to hold it all, all in place. It works both ways. So what will you do in your life with Jesus? How is he the, the stone in your building life. All right, let's move on. And then we come to probably the most famous verse in Acts chapter 4. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. That's a pretty exclusive claim, isn't it? But it's a claim that Jesus himself also made. And it is a claim that we too should hold on to. Uh, in this world that is forever saying you've got to be tolerant and open to all sorts of faiths and ways and perhaps all ways lead to one and we're all, all months the same, there is a difference between Christianity and every other religion. You know what that difference is? Every other's founder is dead but Jesus is alive. We serve a living God. In fact, I came across, I told you some things might be offensive, came across um, some words as I was researching this uh, from R.C. Sproul, and he says, The apostles had healed in the name of Jesus, the one whom people had crucified, but whom God had raised from the dead. Why? So that all Israel might know that this is the only name there is under heaven through which we can be saved. Then he says this, gulp. If you are a Christian, you should be prepared to die for that affirmation. If you are not, you are just playing at religion and you have missed the Son of God. Wow. 
those disciples were willing to die for the affirmation that it is Jesus Christ and nothing else. And they were willing to die for it. If, if, if we aren't willing to, to live that life, then we're playing religion. We're, we're, we're playing building stones without Jesus. And it's all going to crumple down and fall. So there's no other name. There's no name of Sam. There's no name of Peter. There's no name of a Pope. There's no name of Mary. There's no name of David, Tim, Joe, Ange. There's no other name by which we can be saved. So that's the most famous verse in Acts. Now comes my favourite verse in Acts 4. The, the verses that follow. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realised they were unschooled, ordinary men. I love that. Doesn't that give you encouragement? Do you know you're ordinary? <laughs> but that's a good thing. Because in your ordinary everyday life, God can do extraordinary things through you, just like he did through John and Peter. They were unschooled. They were amazed because here, you know, these guys went off to rabbi school and learnt the scriptures and, and understood things. These were just fishermen, but now they're quoting scripture and they're, they're unpacking the truth of the Old Testament to these guys that should know it. And they're unschooled. How is that happening? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. They were unschooled and ordinary men and astonished because they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I think sometimes we can read that and just go, oh, yeah, they noted that, oh, you know, saw him down at the supermarket. Yeah, he was following him or whatever, or you know, whatever. It's not that they'd seen him with Jesus, but they recognised that they had been with Jesus. In other words, they were like Jesus. The things that they said, the things that they acted out, the things that they had boldness and authority to proclaim was a bit like what they saw in Jesus. If you ever want to have a social experiment, grab grab a, a group of, of kids that act differently and, and have one kid that, that perhaps acts differently to that, throw him in, into the group and soon he's acting like that, that group of kids because that, the culture rubs off on people. The culture of Jesus, his ministry, his way of life, his words, his love, his ministry rubbed off on the disciples and they noted that they had been with him. So I want to say to you this morning, can people say that of you? When people look at your life in the way that you live, the way that you speak, the way that you love, can people say, wow, you've been with Jesus? Can that be an encouragement to us that we live our lives and that we be just like Christ? But they could do nothing. 
So they stood, they stood there. They, they saw this man that was right there with them. And they couldn't do anything. So they ordered them away and they asked this question. Now, this question keeps coming up in the book of Acts. It's, it's worded, worded differently. It was there at Pentecost when Peter prayed, when, when he preached. What was the response? The, the people's hearts burned and they said, what shall we do then, Peter? It's an interesting question and it's a question the religious people ask all the time. What shall we do? What are we going to do about this? Well, there's a great answer. The answer is believe in it. <laughs> believe in it. And many people did, but they struggled. They asked, everyone here knows what they've done. What are we going to do with these men? And they tell them to speak no more in Jesus' name. There was nothing they could say. There was nothing they could do to deny that this had happened. Do you know what the, one of the greatest arguments for Christianity is? Is it, uh, I don't know, creation or intelligence or is it, um, you know, how integrally or by chance we've come about here that, you know, what's the greatest argument for Christianity? I say the greatest argument is a changed life. See, they, they could argue about resurrection, they could argue about Jesus, they could argue about this, but they couldn't argue about what they saw. They saw a lame man be healed and get up and walk. There's no argument to that. There's no argument to I once was lost but now I'm found. There's no argument to I once was dead but now I'm alive. So one of our greatest things that we can do is live a changed life and show people our changed life. came across this quote. There are those, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees, that know the word of God, but there are those that know the God of the word. I love that. That was the difference here between those who believed and came into a relationship with Jesus and those that just knew the word and lived it out religiously. Religion wasn't going to save Effort wasn't going to do anything. Sacrifice, not going, to, not going to win a soul. Jesus, the name above all names. And so they, they tell them, they, they say, okay, you can go, but don't preach in the name of Jesus. So they're okay with them kind of ministering and, teaching and maybe even healing, but they say, but not in the name of Jesus. And what is their response? Judge whether you think it's right in God's eyes, whether we obey you or God. What was the command that Jesus gave the disciples? To go out, to preach, to baptise, to make disciples, in the name of Jesus. And here was an authority telling them not to do what Jesus told them.
told them to do. And sometimes people read this and they go, how do you marry up you know, Paul's teaching in, in Romans about um, living under authority and, and submitting to authority? Here the, the authorities were telling the disciples to do something. And you think, well, shouldn't they have just been good citizens? Shouldn't they have done what the government told them to do? Because that's the right thing to do. Well, what's going on here is a play of authority. There is a higher authority. And yes, we are to be submitting to our authorities. But if those authorities ever tell us to do something that is immoral or unjust or against the greater authority of Jesus, we must not obey. Interesting thought, isn't it? particularly as we think about perhaps some of the things that have happened in the last couple of years in our society, what's happening uh, when governments are making mandates not to be able to pray for people. What do you do with that? Do we obey them or do we obey God when God says to pray for people? It's not about doing what's safe. It's not about doing what's popular. It's not about doing what's easy. It's not about maintaining the status quo, which is what the Sadducees wanted. It's about doing what's right. You and I are called to do what is right. So what must we do then is a question. I want to invite the the musicians up. What is our response to the word this morning? Is there, going back to those first questions, is there something that confronts or challenges you in your own thinking? What do I do with this Jesus, perhaps? Do people, when they see me, Notice that I've been with Jesus. Do I give off that life? Perhaps you're struggling with the thought of it's only through Jesus that you can be saved and you're looking at all sorts of other options. None of those give life. None of those give eternal hope. It's only in the name of Jesus. You know, we are called to grow. We're called to make a difference. That's our... That's our theme for this year. Came across an amazing story, and I just want to finish with this, and I want it to hopefully impact your life. This happens for us in our home. Our kids live; have, their bedrooms are upstairs, and there was this one evening where this mother heard the child fall out of bed and made a big thump. It happens for us sometimes. And the mother rushed up and said to the child, what happened? And the child said, I don't know. I guess I stayed too close to where I got in. I guess I stayed too close to where I got in. 
you know, we're not supposed to stay close to where we got into faith, but we're supposed to go deeper. We're supposed to explore. We're supposed to grow. Sometimes maybe we fall out because we just stay in that one spot. But I think there's some things in this passage of Scripture that Peter says that challenge us to the core, that shake us up. Whether it be being emboldened by, empowered by the Holy Spirit in us. Whether it be wanting to live our lives like Christ. Whether it be the priority of what we do in our day-to-day Maybe we have the ordinary life and, and we, we live it, but we're so interested in us that we don't see God and what he's doing. We're just going to sing a song that fits so beautifully with the word this morning. What a beautiful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. What a powerful name is Jesus. And as we sing... We've got this final question. What is Jesus personally saying to you? It might just be one thing that's jumped out of a myriad of things that I've brought up this morning that helps you not to stay close to where you got in but move further in to grow, to mature into his Christ-likeness in ever-creasing glory evermore until the day he comes again. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the name that is above all names. Lord, that it is about you. Lord, as we see Luke writing these descriptions in Acts, it's so clear that it's not in anyone else's power, it's not in their goodness, it's not in their efforts, but it's in the power of the Holy Spirit that any good can be done. And so, Lord, we say less of us and more of you. May we decrease so that you can increase. Lord, if there are people here who have yet to know the the infilling of the Spirit and to be empowered and emboldened, that they wouldn't be warming themselves on other people's fire, but they would have the fire inside them, that they would be able to get up and when questioned, not worry about what to say, but know that the Holy Spirit is going to give an answer that can't be questioned. Give an answer that's going to transform and change lives. Perhaps there's people here who are pressured to do things by authority figures. Give them boldness to say no, that they're going to follow Jesus. Perhaps there's people here this morning that are rebuilding their lives or reordering their priorities and they're putting all these things in place first and they've forgotten to put Jesus as the cornerstone. Would you speak to them this morning? So, Lord, we open up our hearts to you right now. Lord, as we sing this song, would you speak to us? Lord, as we declare your name, Lord, would your name come and do a work amongst us? 
Lord, as we declare that it is powerful name of Jesus, that you have no rival, that you have no equal, that you reign as Lord of Lords, as King of Kings, that you would make that evident and known to us this morning, that we would just come and humbly come before you. Would you work and speak in our lives? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand. And as we sing, you might just want to let the words wash over you. But be asking this question, what is Jesus saying to you? How is Jesus asking you to grow this morning? us to our close today and I want to just first of all thank you Sam for um, just reminding us of those truths and how good it is to be reminded of what is the place that Jesus has in our lives we need to kind of come back to that and reassess our lives from time to time one thing I was reminded of when you were speaking was that saying you know if you don't stand for something you'll fall for anything and uh, how good it is to be able to stand on the rock of Jesus no matter what happens in our culture and the laws that in this land, we know we're standing on the truth. And uh, who knows what it'll come to one day when we need to actually make decisions about who is the ultimate authority in our lives. But we can trust that we know the one who's right, the one who's all-powerful, the one who has our lives in his hands. So thank you again, Sam. Wonderful to hear um, from the Book of Acts. And I really appreciate the whole, the whole series. So... Just wrap it up there. I pray you have a wonderful week. Uh, don't forget there's people in the prayer room if you would like prayer for anything, even if it's for other people. And I just pray you have a wonderful week. Amen. Mm-hmm.